Welcome to Lanestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can get to me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish, and you can get to me on Twitter at uh, Cavendish. Why are you so conflicted about this? Get to you. Yeah. You can you get can log you. on you can log on to an application and you can tell Steve Cavendish how wrong all of his takes are right there on your phone. Right there on your phone. And th- and for those of us who just want to feel bad about ourselves, we all carry Braden, our phones with Braden us. Gall, promoting enragement from the very we, beginning. We uh, all we, we traffic in enragement, Steve. You can and, you can find me, you can you can uh, engage with me, you can um uh, I don't know, read me on Twitter at Scavendish. Uh, if you like this show, the one you're listening to right now, uh, you can rate it, review it, subscribe it. Uh, all those things were good. We, we, we'd we really appreciate it. But um, mostly just thanks for listening and tell somebody else that you like lamestream sports. I think uh, Kaharski, also, of course, a part of the 440 Sports Network, said one time on this show that if I ever need to be told F you, I can just pull out my phone. <laughs> and log on to Twitter. <laughs> if I ever if I ever need to be brought down to size, you just open up that Twitter app and you're good to go. Um, I've been arguing with Georgia fans for like three straight days, uh, but that's neither here nor there because we're going to talk to Chris Mason today on the show. Uh, of course, C Mace, who's had a role with this organization in a lot of different ways. Obviously, as a player, he's dealt with David Poyle. Obviously, as a broadcaster, he's dealt with the front office and ownership and uh, has a lot of perspective on the trade deadline on Barry Trotz. He played for Barry Trotz. He he worked for David Poyle, so a lot of perspective on all the different moving parts, and of course, in what is more than likely going to be the most eventful regular season week in franchise history. <laughs> and as a bonus, what it's like to call the game between the ice, and how <laughs> Braden and I may have uh, may have improved improved the television experience for you if he'll just listen to us. Yes. Oh God, I. A liter- so like go to Jasper's everybody because we have a pod the podcast got a cocktail named after it when we launched uh, the gold standard has a cocktail named after it at-, at Jasper's right Jasper's is our wonderful and amazing sponsor here at Lame Street and I thought at the time that getting a getting a, a cocktail a whiskey drink named after your podcast was the crowning achievement of my life not my children not my marriage but getting a drink named after a podcast if Chris Mason does what we have told him to do at the end of this interview that will take over the top spot as in terms of crowning achievements of my life. Is that it's fair? A good tease. It's a good tease. I like tune that in, tease. Tune into Proud the to be part of that tease. <laughs> tune into the end of the episode. We had almost a full hour with Chris Mason. He's going to tell a lot of stories, offer a lot of perspective, uh, and we're going to have a lot of really interesting and fun conversations with him. So can't wait for that. Uh, and of course, go to Jasper's as well. We're going to touch on the sort of, uh, um, sort of the how, how this is unfolded and how the Preds have rolled this all out. Before we get to the interview, we got some recommendations a little bit later on as well. So um, I, I want to. So, so, so let's start there. What do you think of? What do you think of this? I mean, what do you think of what the the Preds have done here? Kind of fundamentally altering the team here over the last you know week or so. Well, so we can talk about PR and media and strategy, and we can talk about hockey operations. And from a hockey operations standpoint, we have no clue how this is going to work. Um, tune into the gold standard podcast. If you want to go deeper into that statement, <laughs> we just, we just don't know. It, we, there's no way to know whether or not a first time GM is ever going to work out. We just don't, we don't know. It's just, it's, it's every hire, every draft pick, every player, every coach, every GM, you just don't know. Uh, so we'll find out if it's going to work from a PR media standpoint. 
with a fan base that was beginning to check out, not go to games, and throwing live animals, excuse me, throwing dead animals into live action in protest. <laughs> yeah, don't you, get that wrong. <laughs> you had, yeah, you don't want to throw the live. You, you had lost the fan base. And so I think from a PR rollout standpoint, two things important from the press conference, the biggest and most important press conference I think the Predators have ever had in the history of their franchise. Um, two things, that David Poyle has been thinking about this for three to four years, that uh, this at the draft last summer is when he sort of went, Sean Henry kind of let it out of the bag that this was going to be his last season as the general manager. And that around Christmas time, Barry Trotz entered the, situation as the, as the potential uh, replacement for David Poyle. So it all came together not as quickly as people think. But I it is not an accident that they had the giant massive biggest press conference in franchise history the week before the trade deadline as they are going through the biggest sell-off in franchise history, which to me is the message you had to send from a publicity standpoint to your fans. So from a hockey op standpoint, you've given Barry Trotz as much ammunition as a new general manager could ever have to rebuild a franchise. And from a PR standpoint, I think you have won back your fan base by acknowledging their feelings and saying to them, we hear you. We're going to do something about it. It's time for a new generation of Preds hockey. Uh, the question remains whether or not Barry Trotz's eyes are fresh enough to qualify as a new generation of hockey. But that's a different conversation altogether. The here's how you knew <clears throat> here's how you knew that this thing was was keyed up and ready to go. Elliot Friedman breaks the story. And by breaks the story, I mean puts it out there about 12 hours before the Preds wanted it. Uh because the Tennessean had like eight stories queued up ready to go. Uh like this this was this was something that the team had obviously been working with the Tennessean uh and I think they had talked to somebody else as well, uh, but but they they were they were making a a big PR push on this, uh, and they were and they had gone to they had gone to uh, the Tennessean and given them this story ahead of time, and then because agent culture is what it is, <laughs> uh, you know, Elliot Friedman breaks it, and then everybody has to fucking scramble. Uh, which made it then just made it hilarious. I mean, that's always the telltale sign. Like when you see like breaking news happens and then somebody immediately publishes like a gazillion stories, they were getting ready to do the story. They were getting ready to break right. this. I, I will say on a, on a totally kind of side, but tangential note, um, I, I have talked to a few green Bay Packers beat writers lately who have five stories already written. Oh Yeah. If Aaron Rodgers, oh, yeah. if Aaron Rodgers retires, if Aaron Rodgers is traded, if Aaron Rodgers comes back, what is Jordan Love as the starting quarterback, and what is Aaron Rodgers' legacy? They're all pre-written, so that's that's just a, a total side note. But it is kind of once you once you know that this is close, you can get all that stuff lined up. Well, and and the the and the te the tell that you know that nobody knew this was coming was nobody has done. Everybody should have been tipped off by the fact that Barry Trotz moved back here. And, and it was public and it was known that he had bought a house back here in 12 South uh, and was, was, was living did here. Just, did, you just, did you just dox the Preds new general manager? <laughs> no, 
I did not. I know you did. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, I don't think it was as obvious as you think because, again, it is the most Nashville Predators thing in the history of the world for David Poyle, the only general manager in franchise history, to fire the coach he then brings back to replace himself with. No, the most Nashville, the most Nashville Predators real estate thing is finding out that Matt Duchesne owns uh owns a property that he is Airbnb being two years before he comes here and saying we're getting Matt Duchesne because of that. <laughs> That's great. But uh but I think you're right. I mean I I think they absolutely won you know they they've they've now won the offseason. Offseason's not here. Yep. It's coming yep. fast for this team. Yep. But uh it, and and without Without all of these guns, you know this team's a, uh, you know, you would guess that they're going to crater pretty hard. But well, well, I think that's, and we'll explain more about how Predators fans should be watching this team uh, when we talk about Jaspers a little bit later on, um, and we try to rattle off all the picks that are available. Um, but it, it is, it is the the a sellable commodity in sports is hope. Hope is a commodity that you can traffic, and the Predators are trafficking in hope right now. And it is what this fan base has been clamoring for probably for years. I think David Poyle, his body language at the press conference, his attitude at the press conference was unlike anything I've seen from David Poyle. He was as light and as bouncy and as airy as I've seen him. You can tell that the that the the, the weight was off his shoulders. And I told this story on the on the gold standard, but I I went up and talked to his son after the press conference and I just said, Has he had any chance at all to sit back and actually soak in his entire career and actually really truly contemplate his entire career and he looked at me he was like and this was before the Ekholm deal he was like no way man trade deadlines in four days <laughs> so he's still That's grinding fantastic. he's still grinding yeah. but like there will be i think this fan base has because they've executed this so well from a pr standpoint and a hockey standpoint again we don't know what's good what the results are going to be but because they've done it so well from those two standpoints I think the fan base has pivoted so quickly to appreciating David Poyle and being excited about the future. And it all, it's all, all the, it's like they cleaned out all the scar tissue in like one press conference. It it's amazing, like. isn't it? I mean, yeah. uh, because, because everything about this has been uh, for the, for the last, I'd say probably last three seasons has been, how do we get back to the Stanley cup finals? We probably don't have enough, uh, you know, fans are saying we don't have enough assets to get there, right? right. Yeah. And so, trying to figure out how are they going to do it, and kind of, and you know, just the 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 kind of the the first round, uh, you know, the the first round knockouts and the and the the just the hand wringing that was going on about the fact that this was just going to be a team stuck in the middle, and now there is hope that, yep, you know, the, it may be worse first. But there's hope that they could be better on the on the back end of this. And um, what does that mean for John Hines? Nobody knows. But nobody knows. But we can predict. Um, all right. So that's enough from us. Uh, Chris Mason was awesome. He was great, um, and, and obviously has a lot of perspective on a lot of different actors in this situation. We also talked about again how we think he can improve the broadcast. That's all we're saying. Just make sure you check that out. Um, here was our conversation with the great Chris Mason. C Mace, welcome to the show. Great to see you, sir. Anything happening in Smashville this week, buddy? Oh, not too much. I haven't. Uh, oh my god, it's been uh, <laughs> been a freaking uh, whirlwind around here, and it, it almost seemed like you know not out of nowhere, but 
Um, you know, the team was winning a couple of games that looked kept looking like they might have a chance to make the playoffs. And all of a sudden, once that that first uh, trade broke uh, with Niederreiter, you knew what was going to happen. And uh, ever since then, it's been absolute just chaos. So there's a lot to get to today. We'll get to the broadcast that you guys are that you guys are doing now. I want I do want to know how close you've come to being hit by a stick or a puck. I, I, I think I've seen a few times where you've dodged a few bullets there uh, down between the glass. So we'll talk broadcasting. But this is about David Poyle and this is about Barry Trotz. And I just want to I want to start with because you've had different relationships with those those two guys in different in different situations and roles. I just tell us the first moment you met David Poyle. Like, just give us the. Do you have any memories of the first time you met David Poyle? Well, I, I remember. I'll maybe give you because I kind of met them both around the same time, and uh, it was Nashville's first year. It was obviously an expansion team. I had just finished my uh, first year pro. I played in Anaheim's farm system in Cincinnati, and so after that, the next training camp. I was in Cincinnati and I got uh, called into the office after practice and told that I was traded to Nashville. And this was just before their first inaugural season was going to take place. And um, so I got called up to Milwaukee, went up there. And, uh, you know, at this point in my career, you know, I was, I was not a blue chip prospect. And, uh, you know, there was, that was probably third on the totem pole in, in Anaheim. But, you know, when you're that young and like you come from where I come from, it's, uh, you know, it's, you don't have the same you know, education and how pro sports works. So I was really like naive to everything. Um, and anyway, later that year, go to Milwaukee, Thomas Vokun was there. We know how that story went. He was the first one. He got called up and and never came back. Um, he, he was absolutely awesome and Predators legend from, from that point on and deservedly so. And then, you know, later that year, it was Vokun and Dunham. And Mike Dunham, you know, he would get hurt from time to time. And that's kind of how I would get my call up. So the first time I met Barry and I met David was when I got called up. And I'd just been in a, another organization. I was drafted by New Jersey. So that was Lula Amorello. Uh, you guys all know what he's like. He's very businesslike and, you know, the mafia boss and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> that, was like, that was kind of my first experience with how, you know, an organization was run. And then I went to Anaheim and, um, you know, it was a, a, a little different, but when, when I came to Nashville, it was uh, in Cincinnati, my coach, Mo Mantha too, he was old school. Like this was old school times. Um, there was just a completely different vibe that uh, I just, you, you know, you couldn't help but feel as a player that these guys actually cared about you as a player and they wanted to build something and the way that um you know, all the guys on the team treated me when I got called up, you know, just it was like very, hey, you're part of the team. And it, it was just a completely different feel than I had ever experienced at the pro level. And that started with, you know, the head coach and David Poyle and the general manager, which should be an intimidating uh, figure, you know, in sports from what I would experienced and same with the head coach. And it was almost the exact opposite. It was, they're asking, Hey, do you have a girlfriend? Do you have this? Or what's, you know, what's your life like? And I'm thinking, okay, is this, is this real here or what's going on? Because I'd had the opposite experience uh, through most of my career in with, you know, people in those positions. So um, nothing but good things. And then, I mean, the further my career uh, went on, the more I, I got to know both of those guys in depth and really that that was who they were. And uh, it, it goes a long way. And I can give you more stories if you want on either guy. But my first impression was just um, 
I felt like, you know, I was actually, they actually, you know, kind of cared about me and, and were concerned. And, and as a, as a young player, he's not a blue chip prospect or any player for that matter. It goes, it goes a long way in my books. You, you played 20 years. You're in a, a bunch of different organizations besides the Preds. And so that, I think that gives you kind of an interesting view into kind of how organizations work. You, you, you came into several different NHL teams. What is it? Uh, it, and and you were at a, you were at clubs in kind of different stages. Uh, what do you what's it going to be like here in, in this? In, I guess we're not calling it a rebuild. We're calling it a I, I forget what forget what the word we're using reset. is. Is it a reset? I can't. We're using a reset. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, it's not. It's not a competitive rebuild. We're not going to use no, that. It's not a, right. <laughs> but, but like, what is it? Uh, what is it like? Because there's going we're going to see new faces. Uh, we're going to see, uh, we're going to see a lot of change here coming up. Uh, what's it like for players coming into an organization? Uh, and, and what have you seen from organizations, uh, that, w- you know, that did it right, did it wrong. And, and, and kind of, what do you, what do you, what do you hope to see? Well, I hope to see, because, you know, I, I was part of an organization and I feel when, you know, the early days of the, the predators, when, you know, it was an expansion team and no matter what, I mean, back then there wasn't a salary cap, so it was going to be pretty tough to be competitive. But what I found how those teams had success was obviously it's the leadership, the guys that are leaders, you know, starting with your general manager and your coach and the leadership group on the team, they're the ones that dictate um, the culture and what's acceptable, the winning and losing the habits, the work ethic, all those types of things. I've played in organizations uh, I went to Atlanta and uh, that was a completely different feel for me. It was probably one of the worst, you know, hockey experiences that I had ever been a part of for the exact opposite reason. What I was explaining about how you can have success in those situations. And uh, the other part of it was, I, I just felt that with that team, there was not very good leadership or direction or accountability. It was very, uh, everyone's on their own clicky, uh, you know, there's always, you get, and you guys know, you guys have worked with other people. There's always a group that, you know, are going to complain and bitch about everything. And there's always, you know, <laughs> there's always the different things, but you know, at the end of the day, you're not going to like everybody you work with. You're not going to like everyone on your team, but you can find a way to kind of, you know, come together and, and get the most out of, out of your group. If you, if you are all willing to, you know, toe on the rope or whatever you want to call it. But uh, the other way is if if there's not somebody that's you know telling these guys, hey, you know you're part of this team, you gotta you gotta do the same things we're gonna do. Otherwise, it's gonna be a long year. So I, I think for the the Predators, I went through the, a similar successful situation in St. Louis too on the rebuild, and that I attribute that to the leadership of that group, and uh, that's where it starts for me. And I think the guys that they have, I mean, it's only been a couple games, but. I'm really, honestly, uh, I've been impressed. And I know the character of the guys that they still have here. Uh, you know, Roman Yossi and UC Saros and, you know, Phil and Joey aren't playing right now, but they're they're part of that. Um, and Mikhail Granlin, who's had a tough year, but he looks like he's starting to come around. So uh, for me, the success is in the guys. You have to teach the young kids what's uh, acceptable um because you know it's just natural i guess in human nature like well if i if i don't have to work that hard and i can still get yeah. paid for all this i don't have to do it you know what i mean like it's yeah. just that's human nature sometimes but if your best players are out there busting their butt and they're first on the ice and they're last off the ice and they're doing all the things in the gym and you know they you know they want to win and 
Um, they don't make losing acceptable, even though ev- the media and everybody else, we know, we know this team's not as good as it was three days ago, but they can still win. It doesn't mean that you, they can't do something special. They just need to have that belief. So it's it's the leadership in this group, the management, the coaches, and the the players that are really going to dictate how this you know transpires over the next few years. I, I do want some of those stories from from Trouts and Poyle. We'll get to those in just a second. But I, I'm curious because like you have to prepare as a as a broadcaster to do the best job possible. But you've also gone through the situation as you've just alluded to as a player. Um, I, I mean, like how <laughs> how do you prepare for a broadcast or a game as a player when you look around? And like seven days ago, you had Philip Forsberg and Ryan Johansson and Matias Ekholm and Tanner Janot and Nito Nito Ryder. And now none of that is here. And I believe you said it on the broadcast on Tuesday. We're taping this on Wednesday morning. Uh, there's no tanking when you have UC Soros, I believe was the line on the broadcast. And so uh, how do you like is are you are you guys doing extra study on all these guys? I mean, some of them have been up and back and forth from Milwaukee. So, you know, a lot about them. But as a player and as a broadcaster, how much more work are you doing to prepare for a team that now looks, you know, 45% different than it did a, a week ago? It's crazy. You make a lot of phone calls, a lot of texts. You're going on the websites <laughs> and doing all the elite hockey prospects and all that kind of stuff and to get guys' backgrounds and uh, just get to know them a little more. And, you know, I mean, you did the same thing. You're, you're right, Galsy, as, as a player. Um you know, you get some guy would get traded. He's in the Eastern Conference. He might be, you know, his first, second year in the league. You're like, who the hell is this guy? You know, you got to like, you got to get to know. And it's funny, though, the degree of separation, you always somehow are connected back to that person some way. But, uh, you know, we've been through this as players, too. So we understand, um, you know, what goes into it. And I think finding the connections at those degrees of separation, uh, like Cal Foote, I didn't know this until he got traded that Matt Duchesne lived with them when he was a rookie, like that's, that's just so cool. Like I, I would, I never would have even thought of that. Um, you know, Luke Evangelista, great story. His first game, this kid was lighting up the, the Ontario hockey league. He's just turned 21 a week ago. And so you just look into all these things because I, I think fans and I'm fans of other sports, the thing that connects me and makes me really want to watch certain teams or games is when I'm connected to the player and you, you want to know their personality, know their story and stuff like that. So uh, I try to keep that in mind when we're doing the broadcast. And, you know, during the game, it's hard because you only have a certain amount of time to tell a, a story that's maybe this long. You have this much time to tell it. So you try to find out as much as you can and and try to let the fans know, hey, this is this is who this person is. Obviously, saying goodbye to the guys that we care about and fan favorites. That's another hard thing. It's, a lot of people want the rebuild. A lot of people are sad to, to see their, their favorite player go. So there's a lot of different perspective and emotions in this, uh, this whole thing. The, uh, the, the news of David Poyle uh, stepping down was broken sort of out of market. I think, I think Friedman had it, uh, had it first caught everybody kind of by surprise on the weekend. Where were you when you heard, uh, heard about uh, Poyle retiring? Well, we, we knew, just before it had got broken and we thought we were going to get to break it on the broadcast, but God damn Elliot Friedman. I guess what's his, I bet you guys would kill to see his Rolodex for the hockey. Like, oh, how does, yeah. oh yeah. How does he get all this stuff? It, it's, it's crazy. But um, so we kind of knew a little bit before and um, man, I mean, that's an end of an era and, you know, say what you want about David Poyle. But if, you know, I think as time goes on, when you look back and, you're able to reflect and compare him to, you know, other general managers in the game, you know, there's no denying that he's one of the best to have ever done it. And, um, 
it's been his whole life and he has dedicated his life. His family has dedicated his life. What he's done with this organization is nothing short of extraordinary. And I know, you know, every dog has his day. And I think that the fact that, uh, you know, according to the press conference, this has kind of been in the works for three years when that's going to happen. I don't know. I mean, every athlete does the same thing when they get to the end of their career they they want to keep playing but i think there comes a time when everybody you know most people when they recognize okay it, it's time it's time for a new voice uh it's time to move on i gave everything i had to this uh to this game and and to that job and i think everybody whether you like him or not there's there's no denying that he did that um and he his track record speaks for itself no stanley cup he did everything in his power to get it but the move that he made, I honestly, I think, I don't know if you guys, you guys tell me, I was secretly hoping when I saw Barry, um, you know, get not get renewed or fired from the Islanders. I, I just, I think we all thought maybe this was a possibility and it would be, he'd be the right guy. And uh, even more now seeing Barry talk in this context, not as a coach, you could see there's a little, you know, different uh, feel to him that he's probably done uh, a lot of research on the job and some on the job training. I just, I don't think with the current state that this team's in going into a reset, a way to kind of galvanize the fan base, you could have picked a, a better guy. So that's, I think that's where I was, I was going to go. And and I, I'm curious, like I thought David Poyle looked because, because you can think about it all you want. You can contemplate the end of your, your, your career, which like you said, everybody does in, in sports after, especially a long career in the downtime moments, but when it, and, and you can feel a certain way, but then you have to actually sit on the press table. You have to actually stand up there and answer the questions and deliver the the jokes about your wife and your family. And you got to actually do it. And once you do it, the band-aids off and it feels, it feels different. And I thought David Poyle, and you've been around him a lot more than I have, but I, I thought he felt looser. It felt lighter. It felt like the, 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 the piano was off the back a little bit. So from a PR standpoint, I, I think, and from a, to me, the fan base just has exhaled a little bit about this. And I think there'll be time to look back and appreciate the extraordinary career that he's had. I think that's going to eventually be where we all land. But I don't I can't imagine doing this transition, even from just a publicity standpoint, in any better way than to load up the new GM with as many possible draft picks as possible, a farm system that's loaded, a, a name that the community loves and knows. And and there's no guarantee that it works, but like he has done this in a way where fans were so frustrated for so many years, and now it feels like the entire narrative has switched because of his decision making process in the last couple of weeks. Um, I don't know what what sense you got from him at that press conference, but it does feel like the way it's happened is something that fans have responded to like viscerally. I I, I honestly couldn't agree more. I just think the. You know, they could have waited to summer and to announce this and they didn't have to because he's not taking over. But I, I just feel like you said, Galsy, is like the, the the state the team's in, the fan base is frustrated. You're kind of this, are you good or you're not? Are you gonna make the playoffs? Or you, you know, we don't know, right? And so you have all these assets, what direction are you gonna they could have made the play like in all honesty, they were only you know, if they had to win the games in hand, they're only six points out of first in the central. Like, you know, and then the West is wide open. So, you know, but it's always seems to be that that's the position that the, this team's been in the last few years. You're gonna get in, are you gonna win? I don't know. They they had an opportunity this year to take this approach and really get 
incredible value for some of their assets, uh, which we've seen so far, which is they've absolutely killed the the trade deadline stuff, and it's probably not over. Um, but uh, but I, I agree. I feel that David. It was a. It seemed like he was relieved almost. You know, he and what he said really uh, kind of got me too. He's a planner and all this kind of stuff. So he he everything's in the place where somebody that wants to step away from their baby from their you know let their you know kid go off to college or whatever hand your your child off to get married to somebody everything is in the right spot for him and he's bringing in somebody that he trusts and is you know part of his family has been together they've worked together they've built this is not an unknown situation so i felt exactly the same way that this was just he just seemed at peace with this decision. He's still going to have a role in some facet to be there as a, you know, a confidant or, you know, in certain situations. A bear, he's never done this before. You know, he's never been to, a, he's never done a trade deadline. He's never, you know, negotiated contracts in the offseason. He's going to need support. And that's one thing I love about Barry is he's not, he's not scared to admit that, you know, that's what makes him great. He surrounds himself with people that, hey, I, I don't have an expertise in this field. I need you. You need to help. And he gives these guys credit. I love people that do that. That to me is a sign of a great leader. So I agree with everything you said. Do you think Barry, uh, do you think Barry's leaving uh, in, in some way kind of helped prepare him for this? I mean, because he got to, he, he, he had been so identified with the Preds. Uh, he goes to caps and goes to Islanders and, and has, and has success, but also, gets to see things differently uh, and gets to see different players. It, it wasn't just the people that it was just the players that he knew from the time that they were drafted, you know, through the farm system to come up to the big club or, or players that had been brought in specifically that he had maybe had a piece of. Uh, I, I, that's the thing that I've been wondering was it was the, the trots that left and kind of like the trots that came back and what, and what's the what's the difference between the two? Steve, that's a, a great question because I noticed I just I notice a difference in him. He's a little he's a little harder. Um, you know, he's a little he's not quite as I wouldn't say but he is that person, but he's had experiences that he wouldn't have had if had he stayed here for all that time. So I think that he's had to develop more, you know, leather on his skin. He's had the opportunity to learn from the way that different organizations, the expectations, you know, this, it was a rare situation. You have a coach for 16 years, you have the same general manager that never happens. So, you know, Trotz had so much job security, pretty much his whole career until probably the end when they're like, okay, you know, same thing. We, we It's time we love Barry, but this organization needs a new voice. It needs to change. And so he went into kind of uncharted territories for him, the unknown, you're going into a lion's den. You know, if you don't perform when you go to Washington, you're gone. If you don't perform, he was performing. In, in, I was going to say, or even if you do. <laughs> even if you do, right? right like he was right. performing. And I mean, they had the, the worst possible start. to the, Anyway, so he's gone. Like that's that's a real, you know, life lesson, I think, for, for his career. And I think for David, to your point too, is when he, you know, as anybody gets older, you maybe always know that eventually – in Barry's timeline that he wants to come back. And that's something that he might be interested. I'm sure they have, they've had conversations uh, throughout kind of about that, 
But uh, I definitely think that he is a different man and the experiences that he knows how to win now. He knows what it takes from a coaching standpoint, uh, you know, and from working with some, you know, just legendary general managers. I, I think Lou Lamorello and David Poyle couldn't be more opposite on the spectrum in a lot of ways. And then, but Barry said the intangibles that make them the same are the details in, in certain aspects of the way they conduct business. But I think all the experience that he's gained since he's been here is what is going to make him successful in this next phase of his career. So it applies to all players, coaches in front office. Like there's noise all the time. There's noise about your performance. There's noise good. There's noise that's bad. The trade deadline certainly an extra noisy time. It, you know, fans had opinions about Poyle. Fans have opinions about John Hines. Barry Trotz dealt with this now at three different places. Players have to deal with this. Ekholm has dealt with this basically every trade deadline for the last two years. How do, I guess, how do people handle blocking it out? Like we all have cell phones, man. Like we all walk around with access to to, you know, if you if you ever want to be told how awful you are at anything in life, just open up your phone. Like it's not, you know, like seriously. How do how do the different like how how does David Poyle handle? Because you've been around him a little bit. You've been around Trotsy. Like how do and players? How do they handle the noise? And coping with it, knowing that it's a part of the, it's just sort of baked into your job. Yeah, I, I think, and you guys deal with this too, is, you know, for me or for a player, or for David Poyle or for Barry Trotz, I mean, for whoever, you know, internally, you're like, even if like, let's say like, you know, you hear a narrative coming from local media or a fan base that like, well, they got to do this, they're going to do that. You could already be doing that. You know, this could already be in the works or this, could, <laughs> you can't say anything about it. So, so, you know, but, and I think you guys know the, the biggest thing for you as a professional, I think in any performance based profession is you learn, you can't be good at your job if you absorb all that. And then you believe what other people say. I think that I've learned that at a young age, it used to stuff like that used to bug me. And I didn't used to have the social media, but just, you know, different things. You read the art, you'd read the paper is what you used to do. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you read the paper, like, holy crap, these guys think I suck and blah, blah, blah. You learn, <laughs> you, you develop mechanisms to block that out and then go perform. So I think it's no different. The hard part of that is your family members don't. So, you know, if people are saying bad stuff about you or them or the family members really get hurt by that. And that's the part that uh, I think is is probably harder for everybody. And then they, you know, in part have to develop that kind of same thing, but it's not as easy for them because, you know, if someone says something bad about you guys, like, ah, screw it. But if you say something, says something bad about your kids or your buddy or this or that, then you kind of get it's it's a little different. You know what I mean? Yeah, college football coaches children. Yeah, like, like that that's college football. Like a, if a college football coach is on the hot seat and their child is in middle school in that community, God bless them. Like yeah. like it's just it's just it's not that's the part that's the yeah, social yeah. there's a lot of great benefits. We all know the social media thing, sure. but but you learn to to block and to you know it's it's a tool. So David Poyle and and I've heard you know, obviously you've been in these meetings. Um, I've heard about the style of meeting that he runs, which is again, it's, it's what you would expect. So fans see David Poyle outwardly as sort of this calm, mild mannered guy. He is ultra competitive. That is masking all the ultra competitiveness of him. But I, but I've, from what I've heard, and I want you to explain this when he's in meetings with coaches or personnel or hockey ops or whatever, um, there's this element of like, I've I put you in a place to do your job, so I'm going to hear you out, and then I'm going to react to it. 
and, and but I'm going to do it in the same exact way that he kind of delivers press conferences to some degree. So how different is David Poyle in the behind closed doors meetings with players and coaches versus outwardly? And what made that work? Like, what was his style that like worked in those situations? Because some like you said, some guys act like mafia bosses and, you know, yeah. I just think that, like, uh, from my experiences and, you know, talking to guys like Scott Nickel, who's an assistant general manager, I know David holds a ton of meetings with these guys in the offseason. And once the team is done, you don't hear about that kind of stuff, but there's meetings all that, like, there's just so much preparation. There's no stone unturned. But I, I feel like when, even, like, when I was a player and David would address the team in certain situations and, you know, the general manager doesn't do that too often. They usually leave that to the coach unless there's certain things going on or whatever but I don't think he is a a bullshitter he is completely honest with you and I think we'd all agree that no matter what if you like the message or don't like the message that you respect somebody that's just gonna hey he's gonna give it to you straight he's not going to belittle or demean somebody he does it in a he's got a, a great way of communicating um the message without you know making you feel like the scum of the earth pretty much you know what I mean and so his press conferences I, I think it's a very similar vibe and that's the thing he, he's consistent in the way that he communicates you, you, you never sit there wondering what he thinks about you or the team or the state you're in so I, I as a lead as someone who's your leader in those situations I really respect that because the worst thing is to sit there and wonder what are they thinking so he's always open. He's out front. He shares way more than, you know, 90% of the general managers in sports, you know, in hockey anyway, I shouldn't speak for other sports, but for hockey, he shares, uh, he shares a lot of stuff. So um, I think that, you know, he's done that pretty consistently his whole career. And I respect that about him. Lamestream sports is brought to you by Jasper's. Jaspers. Um, so I have a, we sort of have a PSA here for Predators fans. Um, Jaspers is obviously your place to go watch the game, right? You, you, great drink specials for Preds fans. Um, you got $10 smash burgers, $3 beers. You can get three beers and a burger for less than like a parking spot <laughs> at Bridgestone Arena. And now really no reason to go watch the team. Sorry, Preds uh, front office. Um, but here's the key. You shouldn't be rooting for them to win any more games. You need to go to Jasper's and drink beer and eat burgers and root for them to play exactly the way they did against Pittsburgh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is a really good, entertaining hockey game into the third period. You got a couple of lead changes and then you give up an empty netter and you lose three, one perfect. It's a perfect. It's perfect. It was entertaining. It was fun. You got to see a young prospect in Luke Evangelista come up and play. It, it is. It was a perfect game. You're not ruining the great UC Soros that way? Um, I don't know. Who cares? They're gonna trade him. Um it, wow. here I uh, listen, I love I love UC Soros. Like as a as a objectively as a hockey fan, you have to love UC Soros. Um I just think Pittsburgh is the the game plan. If you're gonna go to Jasper's and you're gonna sit down, you're gonna park for free and you're gonna eat great food and you're gonna watch your team, what you should be watching is the Pittsburgh game. You want a fun, entertaining brand of hockey that the team's not quitting. The team's not giving up. You're getting to see some young, young prospects in action. There's a nice little back and forth in the third period, and then you lose and you get zero points. That is what you should be rooting for as a Predators fan. Why? 
draft position. <laughs> it's all about draft position. And so, as a result of all of the trades that have been made here over the last few weeks, we have some thoughts about some other teams that while you go to Jaspers, you should be cheering against because it will only improve the Preds draft position. All these people are going to be sitting at Jasper's being like, can you put on the San Jose game, please? <laughs> what? Is San Jose's down 4-1? Yeah, can you can you put that on? We'd love to watch that. Why are we watching? Why is the Tampa Bay game on? <laughs> what are we wait, doing? Here? Wait, wait, Tampa Bay's tied 3-3 in the 3-3 in the third? Get that put, it, put it over there. We have a rooting interest against Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay. Edmonton, Toronto, Winnipeg, San Jose. You need all those teams although, to although the suck. Winnipeg, the, the Winnipeg thing, you know, you should just cheer against them all next year. Like, yeah, that's the, true. The, um, and and they've also had a really bad two weeks. They like went from like first place to like fourth place in like a week. So yeah, um, so they're already doing it for us. It's great. Uh, e- either way, the the point is, you got to root against all those teams. You got to root against the Predators, man. Like they they're gonna have they got thirteen picks in this summer's draft, which will be hosted, of course, here in Nashville. They've got nine picks in 2024 and eight picks in 2025. Um, so $10 smash burgers, $3 beers, and 13 draft picks. Now, here's the key. Another another key point here, uh, Go to besides going to Jasper, is you need to be in the top 10 to be able to move up all the way to, to one or two. So I guess top 11. You have to be one of the 10 or 11 worst teams because you can only move up 10 spots in the lottery. So the 16 teams that don't make the playoffs get put into the lottery, but you're only allowed to go up 10 spots relative to your finishing spot. So they, and that Edmonton pick is not going into the lottery. No, no, no. (laughs) I think right now at time of taping, uh, they are the 10th worst team in the NHL. So they're they're Look, they just need to do a little bit more losing and they're going to be good. They're going to be in good shape. Go to Jasper's. The next thing coming up uh, is is going to be an evaluation of John Hines. Uh, what do you think? What do you? How do you evaluate John Hines at this point? I mean, th- there's been a lot of a lot of kind of ebbs and flows, and you know he caught this. He caught the team at a weird spot that you know maybe he could have won, maybe he couldn't have won. Uh, you know that's debatable. But what what's gonna what's gonna go through kind of trots? Uh, and an ownership's uh, evaluation of the coach. Yeah, this is, it's hard because when he took over the team, that's when kind of shit hit the fan with everything. Like he took it over halfway and then there's COVID and there's the shortened season, all this stuff. And, you know, he never got to pick any of these players. Uh, you know, they're already signed long-term. A lot of these the guys that were the, the core guys last year, you know, nine guys have career years this year. They come back. Um, you run exactly the same systems, exactly the same power play. And all of a sudden everyone's way down. And, you know, I don't know. Um, I personally think uh, that he's a really good systematic coach. I think much like Barry Trotz, and this is rare. And I'm sure you guys see this in a lot of different sports. There's a lot of head coaches that they obviously have to take all the brunt of it. But when somebody does something well, somebody on their staff, they give credit to that person. If the penalty kills good, he the first guy he says, like he's like Dan High it's got you know the, the penalty kill going, even though he oversees it, he's got the last call and all this stuff. I think he's got some really good intuition 
with the way that he manages his staff, his team. He knows if you're going through a tough time and the coach comes in, he can't go in and yell after every single game. You know, it just falls on deaf ears. Sometimes you got to, you got to step back and let somebody else kind of build the guys back up, even if they're playing like shit for five games in a row. You know, you have to, there's a certain feel that you have to have for the group that you have. And I really think he's a good, he came extremely highly recommended from Tom Fitzgerald. Um, he had, you know, not great teams in New Jersey, you know, and he got a lot out of those teams. I just think he hasn't got, uh, as any coach, I guess he, you, you have to coach what you have maybe complete control or the roster that he needs, but he's in a tough situation now. It's, it's tough. Like whether Barry is going to evaluate, he's been there. So there couldn't be a better guy right now to give somebody a, a chance to say, all right, here we go. He's done well with look at the young players. Now, a lot of that has to do with John Hines. You know, a lot of that has to do with the way that Scott Nickel and Carl Taylor and, you know, Hines has handled these kids and and made them, uh, give them the responsibility at the National Hockey League level. But it, it's hard to really do it because everybody in this market right now, if you, just making the playoffs isn't good enough, even though you, you have to, yeah. it's so hard just to make the playoffs in this league. Look at all there's the West. Who is who going to come out of the West? I don't know. I there's, mean, three, there's three teams that, that are not going to make it that could have easily won, the, not easily, could have won the I, Colorado. I was, just, <laughs> I was just calling up the. I was just calling up the the, the standings here while we were while we were talking. Winnipeg was like, in first place like a week ago. Now they're not. I know. I know. Calgary, Calgary gets in, they could win the West. Like it's it's nuts. Like it's 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 just crazy. I, I agree. Colorado, if they get healthy, they're the team. Yeah, I mean, like I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? What um what do fans and media? Because I think everybody watches. You know, football is such a monstrosity in this country that everyone feels like they're far more in tune with how the game works and what a coach does or doesn't do to impact a win or a loss. I think there's there's more knowledge and understanding of how that product works. I think in the NBA, I mean, I think in, in basketball, college basketball, you can see a set play off of a inbound pass, but like it's hard to analyze. Yeah. What, what do fans and media just like not understand about evaluating a coach's impact on the game? Like, like what is it that the coach can do in hockey that fans and media some, sometimes just have no clue about? Well, I, I think in hockey, I think in you know any sport is you you as a coach, it's all done before the game. The majority of it, it's the preparation, it's who's playing with who, um, you know, all these types of things. In, in my experience, it's always been if uh, there's a coaching change as a player, I've been through that. I feel it's. I didn't perform. I, I feel like people give there's too much on. It's just the coach football is different. You know, basketball could be it's, it's, it's different in that sense. But like, if you're the player and you're not performing, do you need that coach to motivate you? You need systems, you need direction, you need, uh, you know, messaging, you need, I guess the, they dictate the, the feel and the belief in the room to a certain extent. But I think for for hockey, uh, if you're, you know, something that you wouldn't know, I guess, or you do know because it's similar in every sport, it's just a different the way it's played is um, all the stuff is done before all the preparation, the in-game stuff, you know, you're there watching the result of all the preparation that you've just done for the last whoever your opponent is that night. And then you got to do it all over again. I see these guys on the, the plane every single night, you know, I'm reading a book or watching a show or close my eyes. I put my nuke over my head and I, I wake up and 
I got Lawrence Filoni right there. He's still got his, his laptop open doing cutting video and stuff like that. So it, it's just nonstop. But, you know, so I guess for a head coach, in-game adjustments, who you play with, who that, you know, if you, if you find, all right, this isn't working, do I stick with it or do I change uh, this, you know, this line or whatever. So, you know, goaltending decisions, but I, I think all the work is, is done before. And then I, I really think that, um, you know, sometimes you need a new voice depending on the situation, but I feel it's, to me, it's on the players ultimately. That's yeah. just, I was a player. I felt the same. I, I was part yeah. of a, a team that the, the coach got fired and I didn't think it was, it wasn't on him, even though some guys didn't like him, Andy Murray in St. Louis, some guys didn't like him the way that he did things, but I don't think that we were in the situation we were because of him. I think it was because we didn't perform. So when the, I mean, the, the team's about to, let's assume that they use the zillion draft picks that, yeah. that they have now, they have now hoarded and they don't package them for somebody else or whatever. But, but let's, let's assume there's about to be about a, a billion new faces in the organization. Connor Bedard, um, Connor Bedard. <laughs> so <laughs> you got to trade juice before you get to that territory. That's I know. I agree. Juice. And like, uh, like, like three thirds and two seconds and two firsts and go up and get the dude, man. Like that, that's to me, that's been the plan all along. Sorry, Kev. I didn't mean to interrupt, but no, like, no, 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 but, 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 <laughs> But so, so, so assume you, assume you get like all these new faces sort of in the organization that are young, the, 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 then you have to do something with them. You have to develop those players. Uh, what, what is it that that we can't see either as journalists or as fans or uh, whatever from the outside about how does that happen? That, that development from an organizational standpoint, what do they have to put in place? Is, is it, uh, you know, is, is it people? Is it one-on-one? Is it systems? Is it team building? And what, what goes into making sure that you hit on those picks? Well, I think the biggest thing is, is an understanding of the situation currently and where you want to get. So you need good examples. The, the best thing that I had early in my career was players that I could see do the right things. Like I could see, you know, I was that junior player and, and, you know, all this, you know, training, I was a goalie. So like training and working out wasn't a big priority when I grew up playing, it was like, you're the goalie, you know? And I, I so I got to pro, you know, it's just like, go stand there and do what you do. You know, it's, but it, it's the education of every aspect and what it takes, you know, to get to the next level. We see this all the time, guys that come out of junior, they, they are, or college or whatever, they're the best player. They just kill that league. But then when you come to the next step in your career, the progression, everyone else just killed that league before you're playing with all those players. How do you get, you were here. Well, now you're, you're here or here. What do you need to do to get here? And you need to see, you need to have players and coaches that are going to tell you from their experience, what you need to do and then it's up to you whether you're willing to do it or not and then part of creating culture is if everyone on your team is doing that you will do it if everyone isn't doing it and you don't have a great culture then it's kind of like do i want to work hard or am i happy just being here and so i think it's important that we're going to have all these new faces but the people that you keep around are even more important Cause you're going to get these, you know, whatever these draft picks are, whoever these prospects are, everybody is a prospect until they get to the NHL. And then, then what are you and are, do you get better? And I think the, the biggest thing with their development is the people they keep around 
and then the culture that they build with these young players. And that's communication. That's the resources given to them, um, you know, in every aspect. Uh, you know, your kid, 21, you guys remember when you're 20 years old, I didn't know how to write a check. I didn't know how to, I'm moving away from home. I just live with a billet. All these different things, they, they have to be taken care of. And, and they've actually got a really good woman in Vicki Woosley, who uh, is the, the team uh, psychiatrist that helps out with all these different things. They've, they've done a lot of, they've got a lot of good pieces in place. And so I think that this team is set up, like David said at his press conference, in, in a good way for this phase of the organization. Huh? How fast do you know? I think I was talking to you and Hal about this, about when he came up and he was like, yeah, this Yossi guy is going to be pretty good. <laughs> like he he knew pretty fast and he, but he didn't about Ekholm. He kind of, or, or El, maybe it was Ellis, one of the two guys where he was like, I'm not, I'm not sure what you're, I'm not sure what, what y'all are, what, what he's going to be here, but obviously turns into a phenomenal player 12 years. And now he's, you know, worth a first round pick and a bunch of other stuff. How, how fast, because, and David Poyle alluded to this at the press conference, you're not drafting, 23 year old grown men who have gone through college you're, you're drafting 18 year old children essentially so how fast do you know like luke evangelista debuted of course on tuesday you got all these other players you as a just a hockey guy how fast can you tell when a guy's got it or not you know in certain cases the yossi's i, I remember I don't know if I've told you this story before but i, I remember the first time i saw shea weber he's a young kid he was on my team in training camp uh, we played two games that day or two, you know, inner squad scrimmages. And, uh, I, I went out after, you know, I was driving home. I called my best friend. I'm like, Hey, I'm like, just, I'm like, remember this name. I'm like Shea Weber. I'm like, this kid is going to be, you know, you just like, he had that. Like, I just knew when you saw Roman Yossi and, and actually it was Shea Weber who told me because I was coming back to Nashville. That was my last year is 2013. I just played in Winnipeg. And he said, you know, he played, Yost played in the, the league uh, the year before, but he's like, wait till you see this kid. Like he just, you just know in those certain situations, but a guy like Ekholm, everyone develops differently. You know, you, you start to learn and some people can adapt and some people can find a way to work hard, or maybe, you know, you're a scorer or a offensive defenseman at this level. But you're not going to be that because you have Roman Yossi here. So you have to find out where your place is and then what you have to work on and excel at. And sometimes that takes time to change your, I guess, identity as a player. And he was able to do that. Yaroslav Askarov, you're a goaltender. Have you seen it? I've seen it I, I, a thousand percent. But this is the part that for me, he, he pointed goal, to his brain. For those of you, uh, for those of you listening on the podcast, he pointed yeah, to his brain. Sorry. Yeah, it's it's small, but it's somewhere in this <laughs> in my hat head area. <laughs> but skill wise, he's a guy. When I see, and I, it's instant. It's instant because when I see him do things, I'm like, I could have never done what he does. The way that he is able to, you know, move his body and play the position. So, but it boils. I've seen. I've trust me though. I've we've all seen it. You know, you watch a guy in practice, he's catching every ball, and all of a sudden you get a game, the guy can't catch anything or whatever the situation. So it's the story's yet to be told. But he has the swagger. He has the confidence. He's succeeding in the American Hockey League, which is his first year in North America. This guy's going through a whirlwind. I really think that he could. You know, he's got the opportunity to be something special. Having said that, I said the same thing. UC Saros is probably a perfect goaltender. Uh, you know, maybe people might say, well, he's not big enough. Well, he's he's one of the top one, two, three goaltenders in the world. He's proven himself. So you know, we talk about trading him. 
you're trading a, a Connor McDavid or a Nathan McKinnon of his position if you're doing that with somebody who could be yeah. that. And he's got the skill set, but you never know until you have the pressure of playing in the National Hockey League every single night. So I think he can. It certainly would help if Askarov had, I don't know, Pekarine to to learn from for a few years. <laughs> that well, certainly, that would definitely help. Yeah, that exactly. certainly helps. Uh, all right, let's. You've been very gracious with your time, CMA's man. We really appreciate you. Uh, I do. I, I want to hear some trots and poil stuff real fast. But before being between the glass, how close have you become during the broadcast to being hit in the face with a stick, a puck? Like, how much do you love it? What do you gain from being down there? I love it. It's it's you get to feel. You know, we, we watch up high all the time, and it's so easy to like. Oh, why do you do this? Why do you do that? You, you get to see how fast, strong. Uh, the way these guys make plays under pressure when they're about to get blasted in the boards, it, it really brings me back to when I played and, and when I wasn't playing as a backup goaltender, I'm in the same position when you just, you could just, you have the smells and the feel and you're hearing these guys telling each other to, you know, go screw themselves or whatever, a little more, uh, a little worse. Than <laughs> Maybe that. a little more colorful. <laughs> yeah. A little more colorful, but, but you get the, the emotion of the game and then you get to see these guys and how fast the game is when I'm up high, it looks fast, but nothing compared to when I'm down there. So it, it's been amazing. And I've almost been hit a couple of times, like literally right here off the glass out sticks coming over. And I'm just like, <laughs> how, how are your reflexes these days? Not bad. Not bad. I think okay. <laughs> I mean, for for a guy that's almost forty seven, I think uh, I could be doing worse. But once once the fear factor kicks in, the reflexes are a little faster. <laughs> do you ever do you ever uh, you ever want to have a glove when you're down there? Oh, I would I would love to have a glove. <laughs> I, I, I saved Pete Rogers' life a couple times because the puck comes over and. Back in the day, I would give anything to have a glove, not a helmet, because I'd look like an idiot. But I'll take the glove. Oh, dude! But come on, <laughs> come on! You, imagine you do enjoy that role on social media, though. And I think you could. I think next broadcast, you need to have a goalie helmet on. And I, oh, I, gar- yeah. I guarantee you, it goes all over the internet, and the entire NHL world is all about it. I guarantee you. Hilarious. I should, Galsy, I should do that. I should get my last Predators mask. Come on, man! Yeah, there that, you go. Okay, that would be spectacular, dude. It, it would make it like it would be on Sports Center. I'm telling you, like that it, would be hilarious. Glove, but, microphone but, but in only, one hand, glove in the other. <laughs> only if on. they can wire the external mic on the outside of the mask, <laughs> so so that it's so that you have like you're like it's like the like the biggest NASCAR mask in the world. Oh my God. <laughs> do I need to get hit first before I do that? No, <laughs> I just think I think, dude, you want you want to go viral? I'm just saying, like, I hey, just you, just, right, just tell know? management you're you're like you're like trying to get ahead of the OSHA complaint. You're 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 not you're, you're just saying, you're yeah, just doing this to keep the liability low. You guys, I don't want to file a lawsuit against you guys. No, 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 no. You, we, listen, I know all about Section 230. We're fine. Um, yeah. Okay, so here here's the deal. Uh, we know so much. Predators fans know so much. The media knows so much. We all have stories about Barry Trotz and David Poyle. We all know how generous they have been to the community, how much the city means to them, how much the fan base means to them. We we know all of this stuff. We we know it's been told a million times by a million people. Um, I want you to tell us something we do not know about Barry Trotz and about David Poyle. Give us a story. Give us an anecdote. Tell us something that the average person, the fans, don't know about these two guys that have been, again, covered for 25 years in the market. Yeah, well, I, I think for for David, it's probably a little harder because as a you know a general manager, you don't uh, you know interact with the players as much throughout the year until the end of the year. So if you had a good year, you had a good meeting. If you had a, a bad year, you have a a bad meeting. But again, like David was always uh, very open and honest. 
and he got rid of me three or four different times. <laughs> so, but he brought me back a few times too. So uh, for David, I would say something that, you know, somebody might not know um, in the situation is he was a big, and I, I think he was ahead of the curve because back then when we were expansion teams, this is uh, for me, it's a transition into old school hockey and mentality into new wave, uh, you know, looking at players as, as people and that type of thing. David would always include your family and your wife as part of, of everything you did as the, the season beginning meetings or, you know, the big playoff push. And he would make it a priority to include them and make them feel like, Hey, you're just as responsible for the well-being and the like the success of our team as these guys are. And I think that goes just such a long way. And I've been in other organizations where, and it's fine. I, I didn't hurt my feelings or I didn't really care. Like everyone does their thing, however they do it. You know, we're here to play hockey, but I'll never forget that, you know, inclusion of our families and our kids and my wife at the time and just all those extra effort that he did he kind of changed the the culture he was the first guy that ever did a dad's trip in the national hockey league now everybody does it yeah you know so those little things are special when i look back at david poyle and how he affected my life um for so, barry so so here's the thing we even know that he loves red wine and chocolate like we we even know, like yeah. i want some i want some outside of the building stuff like does david poyle cook his fillets well done or something stupid like oh, that. I don't like, know that. I know, he, I know he keeps trust me, I'm not in that circle. I'm not in that circle. <laughs> you're gonna have to get you're gonna have to find someone else closer to the inner circle. He, he's very good at he'll keep you where he wants to all keep right, you. all right. So then so then, so, then so, so what was the best and worst time that po when when Poyle sent you away? Uh well, the first actually, you know what? Like I, I felt like the first time I got sent away was I ended up going to Florida and that's when I got picked back up. I, I felt I was ready to play in the national hockey league. Like I, I just, as a player, I think I had a very good self-awareness. I knew my first three, four years I needed to develop that I wasn't ready, but there, there comes a time I think when a player, if you have good self-analysis that, you know, you're ready to play in the NHL. And I felt I was ready to play and he let me go to free agency and decided to keep Jan Lasik, who was a nice uh, you know, young prospect goaltender. Um, and that, that one hurt. I went and played in uh, San Antonio, which is Florida's farm team. And they used to have an expansion draft. And then after that year, the next training camp, I got picked up by Nashville and I was able to, I got brought back because that situation didn't work out. And they said, Oh, actually maybe he was ready to play. And then I got to, to play there. So that one was, that one was tough. And then Another one, I knew I was going to get traded kind of, or I didn't know, but I, it was the first year I had to be a, a starting goaltender and, you know, we, there's new ownership things. So we traded away like, you know, Korea's all their heart and all team and blah, blah, blah. And I didn't have a great year. And Dan Ellis came in and had an awesome year. And then the end of the year meeting, you know, he asked, you know, he said stuff like, uh, Hey, have you ever, you know, considered wearing uh, bigger equipment? All the other guys, you know, you're the same size as this guy, but he looks way bigger than you in the net and, you know, all these types of things. And he said it in a nice way. And I'm like, yeah, like I tried that. I just, you know, I can't do that. And he's like, well, he's like, go, go back, have a good summer and, you know, reset and, and try to do all these things. And then uh, right before the draft, I was traded to St. Louis. <laughs> 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 oh, there you go. But it was, it was for the best though. And it was, uh, 
but I, I even I can't even say that's a you know a bad experience. It's just it's yeah. just hockey, and he did it in the right way. And I just I have no you know issue or hurt feelings over any of it. I just I respect how he handled every situation, whether I was coming or going. Like, all right, well, let's wrap up with 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 some off the ice outside of the building Barry Trots then, because we also know he likes his wine. Um, but like, what? Give us something. G- give us like. The guy loves duck hunting. The guy loves just give us give us something that people don't know about him outside of the building. He's hard. I mean, like these guys, you just they are what they are. Like there's nothing that you probably don't know in a, in a I don't have like great stories about, you know, something crazy. I mean, coaches and players and general managers and players, you don't you don't get to that level with trots. But, you know, he's probably along with Mitch Korn impacted my career more than any other person on the planet. You know, he gave me an opportunity, but I remember when I was in Milwaukee in those, before I ended up before David, that SOB let me go. (laughs) uh, He was the guy, he was the guy that said he he saw something in me and he, he told me, he's like, he's like, you're right there. He's like, you're right there. You know, just keep working. And and eventually, you know, you're going to get to the next level. And, when you hear that from somebody that's, I guess, the person that you have to impress the most, uh, yeah. that didn't really have to talk to me or give me the time of day. Back then, it was, you know, you're seen and not heard kind of thing when you're, you know, a young player. Uh, but I'll just, I'll never forget all the extra time that he, you know, took for me or for players yeah. in my situation to give you the, you know, the hope that you think is sometimes you're in the minors, you're just, you're, you're struggling, you're, you don't see any light at the end of the tunnel, especially when you're a goalie. There's only two spots up there. They have their guys and he didn't have to do that, but that's just, it's who he is. Um, so I did, I did get banged up with him when I was actually in St. Louis and he was a coach uh, in team Canada. And I think where were we in Russia or Switzerland? Now we're talking. Yeah. But we got, uh, we lost in the gold medal game and uh, against Russia actually. And then we all went back to the hotel and, and we got uh, we got pretty banged up, and we were sitting at the bar, and everyone's around, and we're we're chatting, and you know, t- reminiscing and, and telling stories. And uh, he, he's just a great human being. I just honestly, and and what I was saying about David before about the family, well, Trotsy was that you know times ten because he was on the ground floor. He would if a player was playing bad, he wouldn't just you know like motherfuck him and you know give him shit all the time. He would yeah. he would take and and he knew their everybody's family situation and. He would, uh, you know, communicate with you like uh, like a friend or a part of a family, and uh, that goes a long way. That's why he got. That's why he had as much success as he did because he got the best. You remember all those teams back then? Yeah, we were terrible. We had no business, you know, ever doing anything. But it was because of him that we did. Well, and I'll I won't tell the whole story because I'll butcher it. Hal told it when I you and I were talking again. Go check out the Gold Standard. But he told a story about uh, I guess it was a player from Montreal, maybe that got traded down here. That Hal was like, this guy's a total tool bag. I hate this guy. But Barry Trotz would like eat cereal with him every morning to like because that's what the guy did. And all of a sudden he he turned into like a good teammate or something. So that, that's like an anecdote about Barry Trotz there. So go listen to the whole story on the gold yeah. standard. You can find it on, on the other feed. C Mace, man, thank you. This is so much of your time during a very busy week. So we really, really appreciate it. Obviously, a lot of transition for this franchise. Um, and uh, I'm telling you, put the mask on. I'm doing it. I'm gonna get some I'm national run, it. get some national run out of it. Yeah, I should do that. Uh, but I'm just, oh, do I have to get hit first is the thing. No. Okay, I just, 
No. Okay. I'm scared think, of getting hit, so there you go. I, I think you just I think you just do it one night and like the I guarantee you Preds fans will go bananas. I guarantee yeah. you. Yeah. I mean if they you feel a hit from the high shot and then come down and I'm wearing this mask <laughs> and a glove and look like the biggest idiot in a suit. So good, dude. It's so good. <laughs> All right, I'll give you credit too for it for sure. All right. Well, thank you, Chris, man. We really appreciate you, dude. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, guys. That was Chris Mason, of course, of the broadcast, former Nashville Predator. A lot of perspective there. And look. Put on the mask. Put on the mask. Wear the glove. How, Wear the glove. How Tell effing, them it's self-defense. How effing awesome would it be to see Chris Mason oh can in you imagine, the glass can you imagine, with a helmet on? Can you imagine what that crowd would do if he caught a puck that was coming his Dude. way? <laughs> Chris, Chris, I know you're not listening right now at this point of the show. But we appreciate you coming on. Thank you, sir. Um, and your beard is perfect, perfectly trimmed as usual. I but, mean, but, that, that thing is, uh, you, you could probably cut glass with like the end of that beard. <laughs> it, right. it is like right. taken to a point. I think you're right. Um, I like th- this is good for your career, Chris. This is good. You want to go, you need to, ele- you want to elevate your, your brand. You, you want to go international. Like, I know you got, I know you're big in Canada, dude, but like, you want to go international. You, you put on that goalie mask and a glove with a with a mic. You do the whole broadcast with that on. You catch a puck. I'm telling you, they'll get it on camera. They will get it on camera. Oh, the mask so commentator. He would dominate Twitter for an entire evening. He would dominate at, Twitter for a whole at night. least at, at least. least at least one night, maybe four. Um. All right. Uh. So quickly, some recommendations. Thank you to C Mace for for giving us his time. Go to Jasper's, of course, everybody, and root against the Predators. If you missed the ad, then you skip through it. Go back and check it out because we told you which teams you need to root against and give you some advice back in there. So make sure you go check that out. Go to Jasper's, of course, uh, to watch all your Preds games. Uh, you've got uh, great specials, free parking, game room is great, huge big screen. You got March Madness coming up. You got the NFL draft coming up. Uh, if you want to go watch, you know, 21-year-old dudes running around in their underwear this weekend, I guess go for it. Whatever. I don't I don't really watch the combine, but if you like it, Jasper's got a big screen. So uh, recommendations here, Steve. I've I've brought up shrinking before on the show. It's Apple TV. It's Jason Segal. It's um, Jessica Williams. It's Harrison Ford. I think it is spectacular. It's very it's, real. It's, spe- it's spectacular. Uh, Harrison Ford is this is like this is like pretty high up there in his uh, career performances. He's because, that good because it's so out of his niche. Yeah, it's so and, opposite of Indiana Jones and, you know, here's, you know, uh, Han Solo. It's like it's so against all of his other characters and he plays it brilliantly. Um, I did get I did say and this is pretty high praise. I was I was at the uh, we were at the She Believes Cup and we were with another couple. And I said, it's in the Ted Lasso Shits Creek category. And they both like dropped their beers. And they were like, you wh- huh? What? You're putting it in that category. And I'm like, I, it's only been like five episodes, but I think I would. I think I would. So the the thing that strikes me about uh, about shrinking, let me throw this theory at you here. Harrison Ford's character is Roy Kent. Like he is the Roy Kent character mm. of that show. He's gruff. He's he comes in as a catalyst in scenes. He is there to he is there to speak truth to characters. Okay. He's he easily has like the most scene stealing lines. I don't know. I think every character in the show is. I mean, the, this whole cast. This whole cast is really good. Although, did you rec- Did you recognize Ted McGinley from the beginning? Uh, yeah, 
I mean, I don't know their names. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know any of their names, but I recognize the, everybody in the show. The 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 next door the the, the next door neighbor. He husband. is he is the best character in the whole show. He so he is the best. Ted McGinley, Ted McGinley oh has God. been around since Happy Days. He he, I mean, he he was on Happy Days in the nineteen seventies. All right, I will. So you went all like film critic on me, and I just can't do that with you. I apologize to all you listeners. I just can't go like, oh, he speaks truth to characters. Like I can't do any of that Siskel and Ebert nonsense. Um, but here's what I wow. can say. Yeah, sorry. Wow. <laughs> you're you're a film elitist. That's what you are. Um, I, you said that Harrison Ford has the most scene stealing one liners. It's not. It's it's the next door neighbor's husband. <laughs> he's 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 he, he's really good. He's so effing good. You have got to watch this show. Um, Roy Kent's a, a tall ask. That he is. He a, is that's, a, but... that's a tall ask. And there's some differences in the characters because Kent does a little bit more of like a transitionary piece. But there and, is some there is some transition happening in Harrison Ford's life too. So I should say, and, and leave he it has there. Parkinson's. So I mean, don't don't <laughs> so give it away. Don't give it away. I'm not giving anything away. By the way, it's a comedy. You can't spoil comedies. It, it is a. It's one of those shows that you can watch every episode at any point during the day, and it is perfect. We use it. We like Last of Us. I've actually gotten my wife into Last of Us, which she's never been a zombie apocalypse person ever in the history. My of the wife world. will not do it. I got her into it because I was like, no, 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 it's fungus. It's not zombies. And like, turns out it's just zombies. Um, but it's a really good show. And I, we both like, uh, what's his name? Pascal. And, but we watch that show and then we save shrinking for the palate cleanse at the end of the night. Like we, we watch last of us and then we're like, Oh, no, it also means you don't end on like an insanely dark note, right? That's the palate cleanse. You got to have a good palate <clears throat> cleanse. Now here's another one that I watched and I burnt through this show in like three days. And I've been doing ESPN radio this week till midnight. I have not had a lot of hours to sleep and I didn't help myself at all. I have gone through every episode of the first season of a new Amazon show that is Christopher Waltz is the main character. He's the main, oh, he's the I've main the character. This. He's the main character from um, one of the, the, the opposite main character of Inglorious Bastards. If you like to say he's, he's the German, he's, yes. he's the German uh, colonel. And he is brilliant in Inglorious Bastards. He opposite Brad Pitt. Like those are kind of like the two main guys that are going against each other in that movie. And he is unbelievable. The consultant on Amazon is one of the most like brain twisting, pushing the boundaries of like the amount of times I'm sitting by myself in my house with three other humans asleep and my dog asleep saying out loud, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Is the consultant, and it is a commentary on generational work ethic. It's a commentary on capitalism. It's a commentary on a bunch of other stuff. But it is, it's funny, it's dark, it's crazy, and I could not stop. I got it done in like two and a half nights, and I do not have any time for that in my life, Steve. And I still did it. Wow. Unbelievable. That's it's, a good recommendation. It's like, it's not shrink, shrinking, totally different vibe. <laughs> It so very different vibe. Speaking of fungus, I have a story that I, I have a story that I just want to point you to. Where is this going to go? <laughs> in the New York Times, there is a, uh, in the New York Times yesterday. So we're taping this on Thursday. So it was Wednesday, March first. Whiskey fungus fed by Jack Daniels encrusts a Tennessee town. Ooh, okay. I'm in. Subhead: The dark growth fed by alcohol vapors from barrels of aging Jack Daniels whiskey has coated homes, cars, patio furniture, and road signs in a city crust. Residents said one woman is suing Lincoln County. Fascinating piece in the New York Times about 
Jack Daniels and this black growth. And we're going to have a zombie apocalypse. How about a whiskey zombie zombie apocalypse? Could, could have worse zombie apocalypses. There, could be, where, there could be much worse zombie apocalypses. So where is where is uh, like our Aaron Brockovich when we need her is what you're saying? <laughs> like we need we need like a southern whiskey drinking Aaron Brockovich. Well, come down and save the day. Maybe, maybe. Okay. I don't want to like go into all the details of it, but it's a uh, it's a really fascinating kind of story. Quite, quite, quite good. Go check it out. Wow. Um, okay. Then, all right. And then, and then one last quick recommendation. Um, we stumbled bass backwards into this, and so uh, we we start we went back and rewatched the first season of The Closer. Do you remember this? It was the Kira Sedgwick. Uh, as, is that a lawyer? Like, she's a lawyer, is that right? No, she's a she's a she's a deputy LA police chief. Uh, you do, they bring you her do. in because she's she's like great in an interrogation room. This was like a this was like a TNT show uh, in, the, okay. in the mid aughts. You um you do love yourself eight, some Los Angeles crime. I, drama. I, I'm a I'm a I'm a <laughs> I'm an easy mark for like a like a good police show. Uh, so it's on HBO Max now, and you can catch you can catch the reruns. They're like they're like all over the place. If you've got whatever service or cable, yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. you got, but the first season of that show, God damn, it is the writing in it is really, really good. It's really sharp. Sedgwick's performance is just she's so good, and they 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 found like an interesting way to kind of do the different you know the weekly police procedural, in wrapped in the these kind of like really compelling characters quite good you know if you're if you're looking for like uh something interesting we, we we've had it on like as as we're falling asleep or you know like kind of last watch of the day kind of thing it was much better than we ever remembered it and we like stumbled across like some later season of it and uh, uh episode one day and jen's like we should go back and like watch like the first you know couple episodes and that and see if it was any good and turns out it was good from the get-go like that first season was excellent so it's on hbo max Go go check it out. So you're recommending a a cable crime drama from like 2005. It's quite good. All right, it's there you have quite it. good. There you have it, folks. This is why you stay to the end. I mean, disclaimer here: I have had a soft spot for Kira Sedgwick since Singles. So easy there, big guy. You know, uh, look, yeah. Look, look. I like shrinking for all the comedy. I also think Jessica Williams is fantastic. All right, that just about does it for us on the on mainstream sports. Um, here on the pod, we do appreciate Chris Mason. Um, go check out some Apple TV and uh, apparently some uh, old TNT crime dramas. Go check those out. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe. Go to the NashvilleBanner.com and sign up for good journalism as well. Uh, make sure you listen to all the other great shows from 440 Sports too. You can follow Steve Cavendish all over the Instagrams and the and the Twitter machine as well. You can get to me at Braden Gall. Thank you guys for hanging out. Have a great weekend. This has been Lamestream Sports here on the 440 Sports Network.